continue to walk in all that you've called them to do. May not miss it to the right or to the left, but have supernatural wisdom because you've appointed them for such a time as this. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and everyone says, amen, amen. You all may be seated. Thank you, music ministry tonight. And as you're being seated, open with me to John chapter 1. We're going to continue a message I started last Thursday entitled Radical Grace. And I counted an honor and a privilege to be able to have the opportunity to not necessarily finish this message, but deposit enough of it and to get enough of it out so that you can have further study and application to your personal life. The more that I just meditate on the scriptures concerning this new covenant, the more it unlocks on the inside of me, and it never gets old. It seems like I go to the same scriptures over and over again, but similar to how the angels in heaven circle around the throne room of God, and every time they get back to before him, they say, holy, 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 Because there's a new side of God that they had never seen before. And they've been doing that long before the earth was in existence. The same is true when we get inside of his word. You can look at the same scripture over and over and over again and see something you've never seen before. So I'm not trying to teach or share something new. I just really want to encourage you to believe what God has already said about you and how he currently views you today. So John chapter 1, and we'll do a quick review for those who um, were not here last Thursday. You can also listen to the extended version on SoundCloud to to catch up and the two will marry each other. But John chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Notice in the beginning was the word. Let's drop down to verse 14. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the one of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. So in the beginning was the word. Verse 14 says the word who was Jesus became flesh. And Jesus was full of grace and truth. And so if I could go back to last week, we discovered that grace is not a topic. Grace is not a sermon. Grace is not a message. Grace is the person of Jesus Christ. And when it says that Jesus is full of grace and truth, it says there, and and it literally means that Jesus is the source of an unlimited supply of grace. Verse 15, it says, and John bore, the witness, or John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, this, is, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me and is preferred before me, for he was before me. Verse 16, and of his fullness, speaking of Jesus, we have all received and grace for grace. The word grace, charis, for grace, charis, compounded, implies that when you receive Jesus Christ, there is an abundance of grace that is immediately given to you. And the longer you focus and become aware of God's love and aware of his grace in your life, it will then promote you to then display or show grace. So again, last week we discovered that it's not that people don't know grace, It's that they need to receive the grace that God has extended toward them. And the proof that they have received that grace is that you're now able to see it subconsciously displayed in their life. So it's not about memorization and it's not about being able to quote something as much as it is permeating your entire mind with God's goodness and that he's with you and that he's for you. And because he's with you and because he's for you, there's more grace than you'll ever need to accomplish anything that you face in this life. So last week, as a quick review, we talked about God is unconditionally committed to you. Everybody say God is unconditionally committed to me. 
That's a deep statement right there saying that God in no way is willing to let you go. God in no way is willing to change his support for you. God in no way is willing to change his care for you, his blessing, not based and predicated off of what you do, but based off of what Christ has already done. That when God sees you, he sees Jesus Christ. And the same way he treats Jesus is the same way that he is ready, able and willing to treat you as well. And that's got to really get down into our hearts because we've been taught the contrary, that there are things that we do that can jeopardize our relationship with the Lord. There are things that we do that causes God's wrath to come upon us. And according to this new covenant, that is not the case. We also talked about, again, God is a creative God, not a reactive God. So if God changed based off of our actions, that would make us God and him reacting to us. So God is not the one moving or having these moods. Is he happy? Is he not? Is he going to bless me? Is he not? Did I do everything right or did I not? Am I not good enough? Am I good enough? God has already sent his grace to your life. He created. He's creative. It is our responsibility to react or to respond properly to what's already given to us. We also talked about righteousness is not an action, it's a position. So being in right standing with God is not based off of our actions and what we do. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9, it says, for by grace are we saved. Through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So the only reason I'm boasting any bit about our or my life is because I believe I have something to do with God blessing me. And it says it's by his grace that we were born again. But it was access by faith. Don't look so happy. All right, let's pick up with brand new information today. Let's go with me to uh, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Again, I encourage you all to go back to last week. It'll make a whole lot more sense. But if you thought that was radical, buckle up tonight. Amen. (laughs) And when we're talking about radical grace, The word radical means far-reaching or thorough or complete. Grace is God's undeserved love in action. So when I'm talking about radical grace, I'm talking about the far-reaching, the thorough, the undeserved love in action in your life, meaning you don't deserve God's love But he is willing to go as far as he needs to go with you, as deep as he needs to go with you, stay with you as long as he needs to stay with you to show you that you don't deserve his goodness. Because if I believe I deserve his goodness, then that is what brings in arrogance into our life. If we believe there was something good that we did or we believe there was a level of education that received that qualified us for X, Y, and Z, it doesn't matter how smart we are, who we know. If it is not for the grace of God on our life, we would all be nothing. Titus chapter 2 brings up a great point in verse 11. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So I want you all to write this down. Grace is available to all. But it is not automatic. Grace is available to all. But it is not automatic. And we're really going to flush this idea out tonight. Because I believe, including myself, we've been living far under the blood privileges and rights that Christ has provided for us because of a wrong way of thinking or a self-performance way of living. 
And we've got to address the barriers that are clogging up the blessings God has already provided to us. We're not trying to get blessed. We have to remove the doubt in our mind that stops us from receiving what we already have. You feeling like you don't have enough is all a mind game. It's not real. Let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Romans 1, verse 17. I'm going to lay a scriptural foundation, and I just want y'all to buckle up tonight. Amen. All right. Romans chapter 1. Verse 17. Back up to verse 16. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. I, I always imagined Romans 1.16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ being about me wearing a John 316 t-shirt when I go to a baseball game or reposting one of those Facebook statuses that says, if I don't, I'm going to hell. I thought it was, I thought not being ashamed of Jesus and not being ashamed of the gospel was relegated to that. But the more that I'm studying about grace and the more that God is showing me it's not about me, we can be ashamed of something God has provided because we want to fit in with people who are trying to work for everything they need to get. And so it feels good when we're sitting around talking about hashtag the struggle and about how things that aren't going right and, and things that didn't go well and yeah, you know, me too, you know, and, and we, we, we start giving a negative testimony. But when it talks about not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean to belittle those who are going through something, but it does mean having enough boldness to say, you know, I understand what you're saying. There was once a time in my life where I was in the exact same situation, but God has been so good to me. And I can't explain it. He's just good. And so when people say, well, how are you going to get this? How are you going to get I'm just going to believe God. Not being ashamed to say that. And so with that, going now to verse 17. It says, for in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. All right. That is a huge statement. The just shall live by faith. If I look at it without going deeper, I would think that I need to get in the word to build up my, my faith And if I'm not in faith, then I'm not just. It's not what that scripture is talking about. That scripture is saying the only way to live by faith is to believe that we're just. And the only way Satan attacks our faith is to lie and say we're really not righteous. And when he says I'm really not righteous, then I shortchange my prayer because I don't think I deserve what I'm praying for. And so I settle for less than what has already been provided to me because I'm listening to a lie of a person saying that I'm not something that God has already created me to be. And so my faith level is connected to how much I believe in the finished works of Jesus Christ. 
it's not about getting into the word and quoting scripture after scripture, but it's about getting into the word and seeing what Christ has done and reminding yourself scripture after scripture after scripture that I am the righteousness of God, that God treats me as his child. We are not God's adults. We are God's children. And the same way, parents, you look after your children, who do you think you got it from? You got it from the Lord. And if you could do that for your children, how much more? So this is his biggest attack, is that we're not righteous or we have a conditional righteousness. So we're constantly focused on sin and not our salvation. So if I'm constantly focused on my sin, it creates doubt. So tonight, if I had to summarize this message in three lines, what is radical grace? The person is Jesus. The position or our position is righteousness. And number three, the promise is his ever abiding presence. Let me repeat that. So if I had to summarize tonight, the person is Jesus. Our position is righteousness. And the promise is of his ever abiding presence. That's very important to know those three things. The person is Jesus. That's first. To understand that our position, which is not based in your actions, is righteousness. Why? Because of the person of who? I'm righteous because of who? Jesus. But the promise is of his ever abiding presence with us. His promise is not material. It's not houses. It's not cars. It's not clothes. That is not prosperity. Prosperity is him always being with us. If you go to Genesis 39 and consider Joseph, Joseph was naked and he was about to be sold into slavery. But Moses was able to record. But Joseph was a prosperous man because God was with him. And if you just hang on to the end of the story, you'll see that that was only purpose, a part of his process. So don't get moved by your current situation and what you don't or do not have. You need to be focused on who God is in your life and that every single step of the way, he's positioning you for your purpose. He's positioning you to walk in your promise. But you can't stop believing that you're righteous because you don't feel good. I recently preached a message called The Blessing of Inconvenience. Oftentimes, inconvenience is the doorway to our purpose. Sometimes the most inconvenient seasons of our life is getting a lot of the pride and all of the stuff that doesn't help us for where we're going off of us. Because all inconvenience is, is my feelings hurt. Matthew chapter 22. Here we go. Here we go. The person is Jesus. Our position is righteousness. The promise is his ever abiding presence with us. Ever abiding means forever. Forever, ever. Forever, ever, 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 ever. That means he's not going anywhere. So, so think about what situation you're in right now. You know, God's in that situation with you, and he hadn't lost yet. That's, that's God's promise to you. That's his provision for you is himself. He's not going to send a representative. He's going to send himself to be there with you. And, and this, is what, this is what now messes up. Even when you sin in. He doesn't say, I'll give you 15, I'll be right back when you're done. (laughs) When you want to, when you you know, when when you, you know, he right there like, so where we going? (laughs) That'll mess up a whole lot of moods, won't it? What we doing? What we getting into? Oh yeah, you know I'm down in here too with you, right? So just let me know. 
And so if we believe that our righteousness is conditional, we'll believe the moment that we thought about sinning, he left. And if I feel like he left, then I, I, I'm a little bit more comfortable to do what I normally would not do. On the flip side now, knowing about myself at my worst, and he was right there that whole time, and he still didn't choose to leave. Come on, somebody. He, he didn't downgrade my calling because of my humanity. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. And you're busy telling yourself how you don't deserve to have this type of job and live in this type of house and believe for this type of life. For why? Matthew chapter 22, we'll start at verse 34. Now, this is important, and I want you all to go with me in this journey because I, on purpose, am going to touch on some very tough topics, all right? I'm going to bear it out in Scripture, amen? Don't turn your brain off, listen all the way through, and then throw rocks after we're done, amen? (laughs) Amen. Matthew chapter 22, the context is the Pharisees and Sadducees were trying to trip Jesus up into being a false prophet. Sadducees and Pharisees in those days uh, were people who knew the Bible or the mitzvah, and they had mishnahs. Mitzvahs were laws that were given according to the old covenant. Mishnahs, get this, mishnahs were man-made laws so that the Levitical orders put in so that people would not sin. So in essence, instead of what was sin, man or religion tried to create more laws for people to try to control sin. And the only thing it did was increase sin. And so it became a weight and it became pressure for people in that time to live out what God had called them to live out. Abraham was the father of faith. And if you go back and do a study of Abraham... Abraham looked beyond Isaac and looked to the finished works of Jesus Christ. That's what merits Abraham as the father of faith. And everyone was supposed to reference back to Abraham as the father of faith. And as we read in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, all the way through verse 16 and 17, we see that Jesus was from the beginning, amen? And that he was full of grace and truth. Didn't we read that before? All right, that also means that grace is from the beginning, And that grace has always been in existence. All right, we have to prove that out because some people think that grace only came into play after Jesus Christ rose from the dead. No, grace was the default. When Adam was born into the garden, did he work for that garden? Grace. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, did they die? Mercy. They had to leave. Consequence. And and something about people who live under grace for so long without understanding the true value of it is that they don't appreciate it. So the children of Israel said, God, instead of us living according to grace, we want to measure ourselves to be just like you. And when they wanted to measure themselves to be just like him, God said, are you sure that is what you want? And so the entire tabernacle The entire Old Covenant is a written picture of Jesus Christ. That's it. And so what they had to, because there was no electronics. There there, there was no uh, drawing of Jesus Christ. All they had was words. How many of you all know words create pictures? So God gave them a word picture called the Old Covenant that described Jesus Christ in his totality and man kept falling short in the old covenant. Now we think about the Ten Commandments. There were 613 of those bad boys they had to live up to as a minimum. So it was no way. Can y'all imagine that? You, you, you feel like you really did good today and you kept all 600 commandments and then there was a camel traffic jam and you just lost your mind, right? And so now the Bible says he that is guilty of one is guilty of it all. So no matter how good I did, it's still not good enough. 
and, and, and think about that. That creates weight. Think about relationships, husbands, wives, where you're trying to do good, but they constantly remind you all the stuff you ain't do right. And then when you do something, and then they say, well, finally, it's about time. To do. See, you, you create an environment that nothing I do is good enough, and that's when relationships suffer. So I had to just bring it to 2016. That was the definition of the Old Testament, all right? So the purpose of that story was in Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees and the Sadducees got tired of Jesus giving revelation. They just wanted somebody to recite the word. See, when you quote it, is it revelation or is it recital? And so finally, there was a person, a lawyer, who said, teacher, I got you. What's the greatest commandment in the law? Now, for this passage to make sense to us, we have to understand Jewish history. We have to. Or else this passage, we'll read it and we'll keep going without the context. Anybody ever come in on a conversation that was already going on and then they expect you to keep up? All right, the same thing is true here. Without knowing Jewish history, This passage will go on to say, here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what happens, and a Jewish rabbi, um, one time as I was sharing with him what I believed about the Christian faith, and I quoted this scripture to him. He said, what what did I believe was the most important scripture in my Christian faith? And I quoted Matthew uh, 22, verses 37 through 40. And he said, that is not an incorrect rendering but it's incomplete because all it talks about in verses 37, 38, 39, and 40 is love God, love God, love God, love God, love myself, love others, love God, love myself, love others, love God, love myself, love others. There's a problem. Who going to love me? And so my Christian walk is based on how much I love God, you're not incorrect. You're just incomplete. And so the Jewish history, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. This is a major piece, and this is the context to this entire conversation. And Jesus just built upon it and gave more revelation. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is the hallmark to the Jewish faith. Why is that? When a child is born in the Jewish faith, they spend three years drilling this scripture into them, into their children, before they teach them anything about the Torah. Because the word one right there in the Hebrew is the word echad. E-C-H-A-D. E-C-H-A-D. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our Lord is Echad. One. It's a covenant term. That same Hebrew word is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother, and the two shall Echad. One flesh. So the Jewish faith understands that before I can teach you anything about God's word, I have to drill into your mind that he is echad, one, in covenant with you. Now, the Jewish faith understands that the covenant covers three areas. It covers our sins, it covers our sicknesses, and it covers our poverty. That belongs to God first. So when you're taught from the, from the time you're born that God is going to take care of all of your sin by his covenant. God is going to take care of all of your sickness by his covenant. God is going to take care of all of your poverty by his covenant. What naturally happens. All right, let's take a pause here. John 1 and 14. Remember grace for grace? Remember that grace for grace? Grace for grace. Grace for grace, grace for grace, grace for grace. The more you receive grace, you can't help but show it. That principle is right here. 
that when God takes care of every area of my life. Now, let's go back to Matthew chapter 22, verses 37. I know I just said a whole lot. It's going to make sense. I promise. Go to Matthew 22, 37. Matthew 22, 37. I just had to fill in some context here. Matthew 22, verse 37. And please listen to this over and over and over again. All right. So watch this. Knowing what we know about Deuteronomy 6, 4, that the Lord is one flesh. He's taking care of our sins, our sickness, and our poverty. That then promotes us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. That's what promotes us to love our neighbor as ourself. So when I'm having a hard time loving God with everything that I have, it's because I'm having a hard time believing that he's already loved me with everything that he has. And so it's not about how much you love God, but understanding how much he loves you. And when you understand how much he loves you, then that allows you to love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and helps you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So here's the final point, and I'm closing tonight. Forgiveness is the exercise of faith. Forgiveness is the exercise of faith. So the just shall live by what? Forgiveness is the exercise of faith. So in order for me to continue to believe that I'm just, I need to exercise in forgiveness daily. First, God toward me. See, having a huge faith walk is not about scripture quoting. It's not. I know some poor people quoting scripture. It's not it. And when I talk about poor, I'm talking about don't believe God is with them. And they got like seven Bibles. It's about you then exercising in your mind that God has already forgiven you. Already say, say these words, you are already forgiven. No, tell me, y'all, tell me I'm already forgiven. Man, that that made me feel good. I want you all to tell yourself, say, I'm already forgiven. What about when you mess up in the future? Repeat. What about for what you did in the past? Ephesians 4.32, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, is going to forgive you. Amen? That is not what the scripture says. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, past tense, has already forgiven you. But sometimes that's hard for us to receive. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. So if I'm to forgive others the same way that God has forgiven me, I then have to understand how much I've been forgiven. And I can't tell God how much he can forgive me. That's called pride. Hebrews 8 and verse 12. And I want everybody to read it out loud. Are you all ready? It's on the screen. Time can't wait. Hebrews 8, 12. Ready? Oh, hold on, hold on. Before we read this now, this is God talking to you. Everybody say, this is God talking to me. This is how he feels about my sin. Ready? 
read, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I. How long is he going to remember them? No more. Is he still remembering them? Is he still thinking about how you messed up? Is he still, still thinking about how you're not good enough? And, 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 and he, he goes so thorough. This is why it's so radical. Because he said there's sins. Sins are things you did wrong and you didn't know that you did wrong. But lawless is you knew what was right and you still did what was wrong. Come on, I don't know about y'all, but I know about me. And that's some stuff that I had scripture on and I still did it. But it said that he is not holding that to me, to my charge, because Jesus paid the price. And, and, and this is what causes us to change. Is that God, even in our mess ups, still wants to deal with us, still wants to love us, still wants to use us. In fact, the person who thinks they're the most unusable is the one who is most qualified. Because when God takes you where he's taking you, you won't be able to take credit. You won't be able to take the glory because of his goodness. Come on, y'all. So let's go to first John chapter one. So the question that comes up is what about first John one nine? And so what I want to do tonight is deal with first John one nine two ways in context and in principle. In context and in principle. First John chapter one. In context, John is writing to Gnostics. A great way to refer to Gnostics is know-it-alls. And these Gnostics or these know-it-alls said, First, Jesus wasn't real. He was a figment of your imagination. They also said, we don't need Jesus because all of us deep down on the inside have some good to us and have some light to us. John's argument back to Gnostics was, no, bruh, this is, you know, let's let's relate it here. He said, no, bruh. That's not the case, because if you receive Jesus, there's going to be a tangible difference in your life that you received him. You won't be able to keep doing things in darkness and it not bother you. See, see, let me let me help someone out. If, if you missed the mark and it, it, it got you, that's actually a sign that you're a Christian. That is not condemnation. That is conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, you know better. Now, here's the deal. If it doesn't bother you, I doubt if you were ever born again. And so what he was saying is, if you really receive Jesus, it's hard to practice darkness because Jesus not only has light, he is the light. And so he continues to talk to Gnostics. In verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... You're lying. You're not practicing truth. Still talking to Gnostics in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from past sins. Sins before the cross. Sins before salvation. All right, so, so here's one of the fallacies that was introduced into the church that was perpetuated by the Roman Catholic Church. Roman Catholic Church instituted confession for money, and they knew that the people couldn't read, and they had to trust the person who was the man of God reading about what God is saying. It is important for us to read and find out what the Word is saying for ourselves. 
Well, that practice still continued all the way. And I don't have time to really go into how African-Americans were introduced into Christianity. But to make a long story short, some folks still ain't read from slavery on and still kept the same slave practices, which made the African-American experience in the church slavery and not enjoyable. Another story for another day. <laughs> so when we see 1 John 1, 7, we have to understand here's biblical principles and how to interpret the Bible. You cannot make doctrine off of one scripture. Amen. That is called a loose eisegesis. You are loosely hanging a doctrine off of one scripture that can't be found anywhere else in the Bible. But if I'm going to make a claim that Jesus has paid for all of my sin, then I've got to go back to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10. You can put that up on the screen. Please don't turn there for the sake of time. Hebrews 10, 10 says, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ every time we mess up. Every time we mess up. Every time we have unconfessed sin. It said once Jesus is not getting back up on that cross because you ate Cheetos past 11 o'clock. He's not doing it. He is not doing it. Once, Jesus died. Let's go back to 1 John, and I'm going to finish my statement. And we're going to go home, and I'm going to run away really fast. So again, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it says that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now he's still in context talking to Gnostics. He says, if we say that we have no sin, because Gnostics said, I don't have sin. I'm good all by myself. He's saying, you Gnostic person, you deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. Verse 9 picks up and says, but you Gnostic, if you confess, the word confess is homologio in the Greek. Homologio means to acknowledge what has already been said. What has already been said where? In the New covenant. Confession alone doesn't save you. Confession of Jesus Christ is what saves us. So we acknowledge Jesus Christ who died for all of our sins prior to salvation. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's referring and talking to the non-believer. Why is that not the case for the believer? How many times does Jesus have to cleanse us for sin? So if he cleansed us the moment we were born again, are we righteous? Are we truly righteous? Did Jesus do a good job? So the Christian doesn't need God to cleanse him from spiritual unrighteousness because he's as righteous as he'll ever be in context. Principle. In principle now, the word confess means to acknowledge. Acknowledge the covenant. So in principle, it is perfectly fine for the Christian to acknowledge where they messed up, but only if it's to repeat what God has already said in the new covenant. Because when I line up where I messed up with what God has already said in this new covenant, I now, it's not about my spirit being made right. It's about a renewing of the mind. So when you miss the mark as a Christian, you acknowledge for the purpose of renewing your mind. Renew your mind to what? That you're already forgiven. Renew your mind from what? What the word says about that area you're trying to come up in. 
And when you renew your mind to what the word says about that area you're trying to come up in, it then cleanses your mind from bad habits. So in summary, 1 John is referring in context to the non-believer for their spiritual salvation. In principle, it can be used for the believer for the renewing, the washing, and the cleansing of our mind. Amen? Amen. That's enough. <laughs> Let's stand. Whew. That was a lot. Really simple. Don't beat yourself up. Go to the Word. Remind yourself that you're already forgiven. And then go to the Word and see how can He help. His grace is there. It's available to help you come up in those areas. But if you think that you're a second-class Christian citizen, you won't pray. You won't believe for what's already yours. This is the message that God says has to get to the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus didn't say in the Great Commission, go ye in all the world and preach the Bible. He didn't say that. He said, go ye in all the world and preach the gospel. Galatians 1 says the gospel is about Jesus and him crucified. That has to be preached. The majority of my sessions that I have and the majority of the questions that I get all stem from a foundation that people don't believe that they really can be the righteousness of God. And I've discovered that when people's eyes open up to God is merciful to them and that he loves them, it's like all their stress leaves. It's like people who felt like they continued to struggle with the same sins. When they reminded themselves that God is always with me, they said, all of a sudden I just felt this peace and knew that I'm going to be all right. When people began to take the limits off of what God can do in their life, they began walking into supernatural opportunities that they're in their own strength couldn't do, and they say, it's only God. We have to receive grace. It's the only message this world wants to hear from now until Jesus returns. This is it. We tried the other way. We tried to scare people into getting saved and getting right or getting left. They came and then they left. But man, when they know that God wants to have an unconditional relationship with them, that keeps them connected. And then when you know, it helps you to treat people better. A mean person doesn't know and hasn't received what we read tonight. Because if he could do it for all of your sins, who are you to hold on forgiveness against somebody else's sin? The way you treat others is how God, you believe God treats you. I have a walking statement. I already forgive everyone. One thing that people that serve with me, they understand that you can't apologize to me. I don't need an apology. And by being good to them, what happens is it motivates them to, you know what, I just want to do better. Without me saying, see, I wish you would. Because God doesn't do that to me. Times I mess up, he simply says, I love you. Times I feel like I'm too old to be making the same stupid mistakes. He says, I love you. When I said I wouldn't do something, I still did it again. He, he, he just simply says, I love you. When I go to pray after I mess up, my heart is what condemns me. But first John says, God is greater than what you think about yourself. So if I can be honest, there are areas that I struggle in that he's dealt with me about. And because I know better, 
in, in, in times I struggle with doing better, I, I, I short circuit myself and say, well, I just deserve this and I deserve that and I deserve this. And God reminds me it's not about what you deserve. And by that, it motivates me to take better care of myself. It motivates me to make the right choices. It humbles me to sing about how much he loves me when he doesn't have to. And as I was praying today, It was like my eyes opened up and I saw everything that God had promised to me. It was started because a couple weeks ago I sat at my mom's house and something on the inside of me said she shouldn't have to work at age 60. It's my fault because I didn't access everything that God left on the table. And my eyes opened up from that thought today of everything I was passive about. And because my pride said I wasn't good enough to get, I left out there. But it was waiting for me. So for 29 years, my family has been suffering. For the last 10 years I've been with my wife, she hasn't had all that God has promised to her because as a man, I wasn't bold enough to access all the grace that's available. And I got angry and I said, no more. So I believe tonight in you and the grace that God has on your life. It's time for you to stop trying to work for what he's already provided. And tonight to say, here I am, Lord. No longer am I going to say I'm not good enough. No longer am I going to say I'm not worthy. No longer am I say I'm too young for that. But I trust in you, God. Hallelujah. something changed I've been passive about this grace I've been soft with this grace for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ I wouldn't have taught a message like this because what they gonna say what I'm not ashamed what are they I'm not ashamed what are people gonna say I'm not ashamed Because God was not ashamed to hang and die for me. So if you're a person out there tonight and you don't know Jesus or you're not sure, don't be ashamed anymore. Don't be ashamed. Don't say, I know we're a family. Let me today pray with you and for you. If you're a person, you've been condemning yourself because of mistakes that you have made and things that you know you shouldn't have got into but you did and it seems like you try to take two steps forward but then take three steps back tonight is the last night there's a grace available